Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. So much attention has been focused on January 6th and the attempted coup and the end of the Trump presidency that we tend to forget what transpired for the four previous years. While January 6th may have triggered a fear for the end of democracy and the peaceful transfer of power, the four years that preceded it could very well have been the end of governance in America. Certainly we have had presidents before who proved that anybody could be president. And remember early on in the Trump presidency when the focus was on tax cuts at the border, some said that Trump may not be the worst president ever. And while history teaches us that the past always seems better, mostly because we survived it and came out on the other side, we should not forget just how bad it might have gotten during those four years were it not for the efforts and courage of the unsung heroes who are part of what is sometimes called the deep state. The Muslim ban, Charlottesville, the wall, love letters with dictators, referring to deceased World War II veterans as losers, Brent Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, none of this may have been the worst of the Trump presidency. Because each and every day the administration bumped up against the fundamental guardrails of American governance. A system of departments and cabinet secretaries and national security, all historically balanced to produce both results and to do so with prudence and deliberation, all anathema to the Trump administration. Steve Bannon said it best early on when he said he wanted nothing short of the dismantling of the entire administrative state. Yet it was arguably that administrative state and its many dedicated men and women who took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution that may have saved the Republic, not on January 6th, but from January 21st, 2016 through January 21st. 2021. My guest, David Rothkoff, writes about this in his new book, American Resistance. David Rothkoff is a professor of international relations, a political scientist, and journalist. He is the founder and CEO of the Rothkoff Group, and he's a visiting professor at the Nietzsche School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins. He is the author of numerous books, including Traitor, A History of American Betrayal, from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump, and he is also the podcast host, of Deep State Radio. And it is my pleasure to welcome David Rothkoff back to this program to talk about American resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. David, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be back. Well, it's great to have you here. How much do we really know at this point? Because certainly history will tell us a lot more. How much do we really know about what went on day to day that was so dangerous within the Trump administration? Well, I think the surprising thing is that, you know, I somebody counted there have been perhaps 1,200 books already written about the Trump administration. And we are accustomed to a kind of uh, fire hose of, revelations on a regular basis about shocking uh, behaviors and uh, practices within the administration. Uh, and yet there's always something new. Uh, and, you know, I interviewed 100 people for this book uh, and heard a lot of things that surprised me, uh, some things that I hadn't heard before. Uh, but I came away with the sense that we're just scratching the surface, that the closer you look at Donald Trump, how he behaved, the people around him, his family, uh, his agenda, the way he conducted the presidency, um, the more we will find out things that shock us uh, and the more we will find out things that were um, 
demonstrably dangerous to our institutions, to the standing of the country, to the well-being of its people, uh, and to democracy. And yet part of the reason that he was able to get away with some of this was not only because he was Donald Trump and did the things that he did, but also because there was general and fundamental distrust of government in this country that has been going on for a long time, not in the, in the sense even that our founders had a distrust of government, but really what has been going on since the 80s in the sense that somehow government was the enemy. Talk about that. Well, you're right that people are always distrustful of government. They're always distrustful of institutional power that uh, can impose its will on them. Um, but having said that, um, you know, my sense is that the big lie of Donald Trump was made possible by the big lie of Ronald Reagan. And the big lie of Ronald Reagan was, as you say, that government is the enemy. Uh, and there was a reason for that big lie. There's always a reason behind these uh, lies or conspiracy theories. And in the case of Reagan's big lie, um, it was that if you make government the enemy, then you can start cutting away at um, major programs of the government. Uh, you might say you are doing this because you want to enhance people's liberty or reduce bureaucracy. But the real reason they're doing it is that if you reduce the cost of government, you reduce taxes. And the people who've really been the sponsors of this effort on the far right um, have been extremely wealthy people who care about their level of taxation and their freedom um, to conduct predatory business practices above all else. And so let's get rid of government, let's lower taxes, let's get rid of regulation, let's let us do more free um, of government oversight. We don't want to have to deal with you know, health standards or other kinds of concerns. But there are other downsides to this Reagan big lie, and, and, and one of them is uh, that if you discredit the government, uh, as Donald Trump has subsequently uh, made a centerpiece of his own presidency, uh, what you do is you make it easier to discredit the things the government says. You make uh, the big lie possible. You say, well, government is untrustworthy, and so its conclusions about elections are untrustworthy. And another thing you do is you make it um, easier to put people in high government offices uh, who don't have the qualities that leaders have, independence of thought, uh, the willingness to reject dogma, the willingness to reject uh, kind of the party line. Uh, and instead, you can elect officials who are stooges and who follow the party line and who do not oppose uh, the people at the top of the pyramid. And, you know, we're seeing that today. You know, the idea that somebody like Herschel Walker uh, could be a serious candidate or even a not-so-serious candidate to be a senator, um, one of a 100 people in our higher uh, House of Congress who uh, is responsible for crucial legislation, um, when he is observably incoherent, right, observably right. Uh, ignorant, um, uh, you know, that has to trace back to something. And and, and it, what it really traces back to is this assertion that government doesn't matter. If government doesn't matter, sure, let's have Herschel Walker. Let's have Tommy Tuberville. Let's have Matt Gates. Let's have, you know, Devin Nunez. 
let's have people who are clearly not up to the job, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, uh, and so on. And uh, so you're, you know, you're right. The roots of the problems that we're having today uh, go back decades, um, and the effort to um, reduce the guardrails, to weaken the guardrails in government, whether it's courts or legislators or democracy itself, uh, has been going on for a long, long time. It is it is a real enterprise on the part of uh, the groups that are funding and who are the architects of the uh, the right wing in the U.S. today. Right. I forget who it was, you, you might remember, that said during the Reagan years that the goal was to shrink the size of government so that it could go down the drain of a bathtub. Well, it's akin to what you, you know, you referred to earlier in terms of, you know, Steve Bannon's comment about right. getting rid of the administrative state. Well, why on earth would you want to get rid of the administrative state? You want to get rid of the the care that it provides for veterans. You want to get rid of uh, uh, protection at our borders. You want to get rid of uh, Medicare or Social Security or, or you know, the, the, the answer is no. Uh, no, those those ideas are hugely unpopular ideas across the, the American electorate, Democrats and Republicans alike. What you want to get rid of is people who are going to put their oath of office and the Constitution and the rule of law ahead of party loyalty or loyalty to an individual candidate. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is um, it reveals how you know, civil servants can be heroes in the United States, the value of public service. Um, but the other thing it does is it reveals that as Donald Trump and those around him realized that they were an effective guardrail, these people were an effective guardrail, they started to find ways or seek ways to dismantle that guardrail, to fire those people, uh, to discredit those people. It discredits you know, this group of people who are actually just doing their job, much the same way that, you know, Trump, for example, dis tried to discredit Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who was a very distinguished foreign service officer um, in Ukraine. And Bannon's idea is, you know, let's get rid of the administrative state because it's an impediment to our desire towards a more authoritarian, top-down serving the 1% kind of government. But isn't it more complicated? Because you can make the argument, and, and you hear the argument made even beyond the extremes, that that these people, no matter how dedicated they are, no matter how much they have, have sworn allegiance to the Constitution, that they are not the unelected part of government, that, that these people, Trump in this case, awful as it may have been, was the rightly elected president. And and there is the need somehow to balance those two ideas. You know, I, I hear that a lot, obviously. I, I don't think it that's the, the right way to characterize it. People get elected by the people, and they go and they serve in the legislature. Uh, and when they serve in the legislature, or they... Um, uh, 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 serve in in high government office they create laws right and those laws um have to be enforced what these people are doing is ensuring that the will of the people is 
respected and enforced. And, you know, so, you know, who, who more represents the will of the people? A president elected by a minority of Americans who disregards uh, their views often, lies, promotes views that are opposed by two-thirds of all Americans, or in the case of things like gun laws, perhaps 90% of all Americans, or people who are in an office somewhere in the government who have chosen a career of public service, who understand the law, seek to enforce the law, see the law as a manifestation of our constitutional system. Um, in, my, in my view, it's the latter group who are serving the will of the people um, far more than the former group. Even though they're they're and, and I don't want to sound like I'm defending Trump here, but even though they are they are unelected. Yes, because some of the will of the people is translated into law. You know, we've the country's been around for two hundred and forty mm-hmm. years. There's a big body of law like the you know, the Constitution of the United States, which was ratified by the states. Is that um less of a relevant guide to the will of the people? than the views of Donald Trump? Of course not. You know, sometimes we take the will of the people and we translate it into the written word. Uh, It gets ratified. It gets institutionalized. Why? Because we want it to guide this generation and future generations, because we have a system where we place um, the rule of law above the rule of any individual human being, because we, in fact, recognize that if you super empower individuals, it is dangerous, whether those individuals are kings or elected demagogues. Um, And so, uh, you know, that's why there are checks and balances in our government. That's why we pass ethics laws. It's why we pass laws about how government should conduct itself. Um, And those laws don't stop being the will of the people um uh, with each ensuing election they remain the will of the people and these people are serving that will i want to come back to what we talked about earlier in terms of of this multi-decade process enterprise as you called it that has been really conducted against the, the, the administrative state and what, in your view, that has done for the morale of people that, that have taken that oath and that go into work every day and do these jobs and, and have heard for so many years all of this negativity about government and the work that they do? Well, certainly it, it, it negatively affects the morale, and certainly to some extent it, it discourages people from seeking careers in public service, and that's to our detriment. We have a big government. We want to have the people in it be capable and compassionate and educated and and, and um, uh, effective as as public servants. Um, and certainly as I've, you know, I've been in and around government for the past 30 or 40 years, and uh, you know, I I have seen the the toll that it takes, whether it was you know the Reagan era or onward, uh, when these people are put you know under attack. Um, uh, but uh, 
I have also seen that, you know, these people endure a lot for public service. They make less money than they would make if they were working in the private sector. Um, they uh, have more constraints on their public behavior. Uh, there is more transparency about how they operate on the job as it should be, but it makes doing the job more difficult. Uh, they are public targets uh, throughout their lives. Uh, and in the course of the past four years, it's gotten worse um, because of the ugliness of Trumpism and the extreme right, where people who stood up and did the right thing, whether it was Alexander uh, Vindman or Anthony Fauci uh, or any of the hundreds of other people who did the right thing, what do they face? They face death threats. They have to have security. They can't go out to eat in a restaurant. They, you know, they, and, But they keep doing their job. And the reason that they keep doing their job is that they believe it's the right thing to do and it's in the interests of their families and their communities uh, and their view of what this country should be. And so I believe we really owe them Republicans, Democrats, and independents have a debt of gratitude. One of the other areas of this is that it wasn't just, and you focus a great deal on this, and you mentioned some of the people just now, and there were people like Jim Mattis and Mark Milley and others, but it wasn't just in the national security arena, that it was really a broad cross-section within government in terms of people that, that tried to stand up for what was right. Well, yeah, I think that's true. And by the way, I mean, we have to be honest. You know, you, you at the beginning of the show identified a litany of things that happened that were bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, Trump and the people around him uh, uh, were uh, quite effective in, in getting some of uh, the, 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 their negative agenda uh, enacted. Um, but in time after time after time, as I looked at it, whether you're dealing with immigration policy or you're dealing with the pandemic or you're dealing with elections or you're dealing with law enforcement in the U.S. or you are dealing with some of these national security issues, the um, professionalism of these people um, and their commitment to these standards of, of, of placing the, the rule of law uh, first or, or, or honoring their oaths to the Constitution stopped Trump from doing terrible things. He, it defanged the Muslim ban. It delayed uh, his ability to implement it. It stopped him from launching missiles at the caravans coming up through Mexico or building a moat full of alligators at our southern border or having soldiers redeployed to that border and having them fire on immigrants as they approached the United States of America. Uh, it kept him from having the 101st Airborne Division dropped into Portland uh, to uh, uh, stop, in his view, you know, uh, uh, protests surrounding George Floyd or uh, BLM protests. Uh, you know, it stopped him from uh, promoting ideas, you know, akin to uh, shooting uh, bleach into your veins during COVID or suppressing COVID data or suppressing uh, science during that period or pulling out of NATO or pulling our troops out of Europe um, or um, placating foreign dictators uh, or, or go into war with North Korea. It stopped him from doing that 
or uh, or it mitigated uh, some of 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 the damage he was uh, seeking to do. It does make you wonder, of course, about a, a, the potential of of either a second Trump term or somebody like Trump that has a better understanding of how the levers of government work. Well, that's, you know, the, I mean, I didn't just write this book to write a history or to give the people that I spoke to a platform. I wrote the book because as the administration went on, Trump uh, and those around him became frustrated by this and said, well, what do we do about it? Well, let's fire the inspectors general. Let's um, put our own people in. If the Congress won't approve the people we want to run agencies, let's put in acting um, cabinet secretaries or acting heads of critical government agencies. Let's implant our own dark state uh, in these agencies so that we see what's being done in the world of classified information. We're able to control what's being done in law enforcement. Um, and we've seen, you know, we've seen the, the the efforts that they made, you know, the January 6th hearings uh, illustrated extremely well what those efforts looked like uh, within the context of the Department of Justice and how uh, people, senior uh, uh, Trump appointees among them, said, nope, that's too far. We, we're not we're not, we're we're going to oppose letting that happen now. The, the reason I say all this is that when I spoke to these people, they all said part of the reason some of them stayed on, part of the things that, that they were most worried about was that Trump would get reelected and he will have learned for the first four years of experience and he will gut um, uh, uh, the, 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 or eliminate the guardrails and um, uh, make it easier. He has this idea called Schedule F, which he implemented and was reversed. And now he and other Republican leaders want to implement, uh, which would enable them to fire a lot of these people and clear the way for a more authoritarian form of government. And it's not just Trump, uh, although we have him running again. It's others, Ron DeSantis, others who are running for high office, who would seek to do this because you know, democracy, accountability, transparency, the, the the values on which the country was built are just not their cup of tea. They want to be able to dictate uh, things. Uh, they are uh, aspirant authoritarians. And our, our fundamental, you know, standing as a, as a democracy uh, is at risk and continues to be at risk uh, because of this onslaught against this and other guardrails. Do you come away from, from these interviews and the conversations that you've had and the way you've looked at this thinking that the system is more or less fragile than we think? Well, you know, I, I, I'm tempted to say the answer is both. Um, and, and, and the reason is that, you know, we, we see in all of these stories resilience, uh, the effectiveness of institutions, the effectiveness of our system of laws. Donald Trump was, after all, impeached, which made him stop uh, withholding funds from Ukraine, and 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 he was, uh, uh, after all, stopped uh, from some of his most extreme plans with regard to stealing the election, even by uh, people who, you know, I don't sort of consider. Uh, high-quality public servants like like Bill Barr, but who you know other you know people who sort of drew the line someplace, um, and so that's a that's resilience that's positive. On the other hand, um, 
this is the first moment in my life, the past few years are the first moment in my life that I don't know whether we're, our democracy is going to survive. Um, I don't, I, you know, if Trump gets reelected or DeSantis gets elected or uh, GOP mag, MAGA candidates uh, take control of the House and, and the Senate in 2024, uh, if they're able to have their way, then the courts will no longer be a guardrail. The Congress will no longer be a guardrail. There will be no checks. Uh, the, 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 the government institutions we've built and the laws that we've written will no longer be a guardrail. Uh, people will be stripped of their voting rights. They will be stripped of fundamental freedoms. This is not you know, hyperbole. We're seeing it happen. We saw it happen with the Dobbs decision. We saw it happen um, with Citizens United. We saw it happen with Shelby County, which started to, you know, dissolve uh, the, the, the um, you know, the key components of the Voting Rights Act. And so, you know, we could lose it. We could, we could make a wrong term in 2024 or 2026 or 2030 or, you know, and, the democracy that we thought was our inheritance from prior generations that we were entitled to, that was inviolable could disappear. Um, so it's all on a knife's edge right now. And we wouldn't be the first example in the history of the world to disappear. Germany was a democracy before Hitler and uh, Italy was democratic before Mussolini and countries, you know, have ebbed and flowed. Hungary moved in a more democratic direction and direction. And and now they have, uh, you know, an autocratic nationalist leader in Orban, uh, you know, sorry, Yair Bolsonaro or or Duterte in the Philippines or 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 Modi in India are all people who have sought uh, or who continue to seek to weaken the democracies that brought them into power. Did these examples that you give, people that stood up, people that, that took their oath and allegiance to the Constitution and their patriotism first, did they provide examples? Did they make this administrative state stronger by their example, or did it scare others into not wanting to do the same thing? Um, I think it was more the former than the latter. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, as we went through the two impeachment hearings, as we watched some of these people behave, um, I, I think it became clear that sometimes it's essential to speak truth to power. Sometimes it's essential to be willing to sacrifice your career for other people. Um, many of them lost their jobs uh, you know, whether it's Masha Yovanovitch or Alexander Vindman or uh, the woman at the de- Defense Department who, uh, you know, blew the whistle on, on, on uh, you know, or urged the president to deploy the funds to Ukraine that the Congress had already approved or some of these inspector generals. Um, but I, I, I do think they serve as an inspiration. And you only have to look to, you know, Tony Fauci making his last public press conference after four decades of service 
And while there are, you know, Fauci detractors out there, you know, in the anti-science mega right, um, most Americans recognize that from the AIDS crisis through to the current crisis, this is a guy who has devoted himself, he's in his early 80s, to um, helping the American people. And as such, he's an inspiring example. And, I, you know, one of the reasons I write this book is these are inspiring examples. These are American heroes. Uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, with whom I spoke for the book, um, uh, refers to what they did as constitutional patriotism. And I think that that's that's a, as good a way of saying it as anything else. These are constitutional patriots, um, and I think a lot of people um, will be inspired by them and uh, uh, by their stories. David Rothkopf, his book is American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep states save the nation. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us. I, I really enjoyed it. Hope to do it again sometime soon. Thank you.